0: Pastor Kevin Davis here. Things are not going as I planned so far. I came down with the stomach flu on Friday of this week and uh, suffered with it all day Saturday and this Sunday, January 15th. Uh, I'm not going to be preaching again today. And in fact, the folks at Woodland Friends Church will be watching a sermon from April of 2020. Uh, I post videos on my personal Facebook profile, and they're going to be watching that, and it's also still on your podcast feed. Uh, it's We Have a King Who Gives Sinners a Chance. So to produce something relatively new for you, I am once again releasing from the Sermon Vault, and it's actually going to be the sermon right after the last sermon I released. I released a few weeks ago Uh Jesus Recruits Sinners, Uh, this is just the sermon uh, in the text of Mark following right after that piece. So hope to be back next Sunday with a new sermon. All right, we'll see you then.
1: I want you to turn to Mark chapter 3. And as you do, though, I want to ask you, what are we here for? (laughs) This isn't a very abstract question, but the question more literal rather, is what are we all here for as Christians, what are we doing here at Woodland French Church? Why, sure. what?
0: The Lord.
1: Praising the Lord. To build each other up. To build each other up. Why why are we in Woodland? See, Acts seventeen twenty six tells us that God determines the places and the times where his people ought to live. So what are we all doing here for? God has us here for a purpose, does he not? Are we here to carry on Quaker traditions and be the Quaker light in this community? Are we here because we're woodland and we want to see woodland and all of its idiosyncrasies carry on into the future generations? Are we here to work, to farm, and study our Bibles until Jesus comes back? Are we here to be living images and legacies of the families before us. Maybe for the the relative newcomers, we hope to have well-established roots and be remembered far into the future. What are we here for? The problem today that Jesus faces is really two accounts of people whom he loves closely and dearly. They're trying to decide what Jesus is and what his purpose is. Their accusations are nothing new. It's actually accusations that many people still accuse Jesus and his family today of. I want to invite you to stand in honor of reading the Lord's word. And please read with me Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Mark chapter 3. Mark writes, Then he, that is Jesus, went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat, they being Jesus and his disciples. And when Jesus' family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? All sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my personal desire is to hear your voice. This is why we gather, is to hear your voice. I pray that you would speak into our hearts. Father, any conditions that we're experiencing right now, we trust that you can speak to that condition. Father, we don't want to be interested in games. We don't want to be interested in anything else except for what you have for us. So speak to us. Father, if we need conviction, you have freedom to do that today. If we need to repent of sin, you have freedom to ask us to today. If we need comfort, we ask for it today. Father, whatever you would wish to say each and every one of us, you're the only one who can meet every need. So we ask and pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. 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 Be seated. So the scene looks like this. Jesus is being crowded again. A crowded ministry is a love-hate type thing. Right, you know, I loved all the people here last week. It was so great to see so many faces, but man, wasn't it hot, <laughs> especially with my suit on?
0: <laughs>
1: and what about the room? A lot of you, I know, had heart attacks because you had to sit in different pews. It's very hard. Thank you for suffering for Jesus. <laughs> So you love the people, you love the fact that more people might get to hear about Jesus, more people might become Christians, but you hate the fact that it forces you to reorganize. This was Jesus' conundrum, if you're in Mark chapter 3, starting around verse 7. Jesus, like he usually does, withdraws and a great crowd follows. And Jesus, whenever a crowd comes around him, he ends up doing a few things that you can almost predict. He ends up healing people. And then casting out demons, which he also does in this encounter in Mark 3. But the crowd was starting to become so overbearing, almost maybe even hostile, so much that Mark tells us in Mark three nine, Jesus and his church, they have an escape plan. They're backing up to the Sea of Galilee. And so the crowd might get too rambunctious, and he says to his disciples, hey, get a boat ready, just in case if we need to leave. But this isn't the first crowd that Jesus has had. And it's almost as if Mark writes this that Jesus realizes at this point that in order for his church to move forward, there just doesn't need to be a leader, Jesus, there needs to be a leadership. (laughs) And so Jesus selects 12 disciples to do their mission, to do what Jesus and his church, his family, are here for. Mark kind of ends on an ominous note, though, in the selection of 12 disciples. He ends on a guy named Judas Iscariot. And Mark 3:19 tells us that this man, Judas, would betray Jesus. And so this is where we kind of catch up today. Jesus has been up on a hill away from mobs of crowds. He's choose, chosen 12 people to be apostles and disciples. So we catch up in Mark chapter 3 verse 20, and it says, "Then he that is Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And so kind of like this idea, even before Jesus called his disciples, The crowd just seems a little overbearing. Jesus and company could not even eat. I mean, I have this picture of doors rattling. People are demanding that Jesus comes out. You know, there's just too many needs out here, Jesus. You know, in the windows, there's just thousands of faces looking in, wondering where Jesus and his disciples are doing. You know, the church needs to be active. There's just too much for you to do. And you have 12 extra staff members now, Jesus. You can meet all of our needs right now. Do your thing. Jesus has got to feel a little burdened. However, things are about to get a little harder for him. Look at what happens next. Verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize Jesus, for they were saying he's out of his mind. Hmm. Let's take this back to the question and ask, what is Jesus here for? Well, for Jesus' family, they think he's lost it. They think he's literally out of his mind. The Greek literally states, he has gone berserk. (laughs) He has lost his senses. Jesus went off into the deep end. Jesus' family makes this assumption by hearing, quote, it. (laughs) Now, what is it? (laughs) See, commentators look at the progression of Mark, and they would probably make the assumption that you and I make. I think it's a a combination of things. But perhaps Jesus' official organizing of 12 disciples, and the fact that it's very evident now he doesn't plan to stop his ministry. He's had a few bouts with Pharisees. The people flock to him in droves because they need him, and he heals And he preaches things like he can forgive sins. He's made a a controversial mark, if you will, in the Jewish church. And so like many families, I can testify knowing my own family, they're looking out for their own son and their own brother, looking out for their reputations, but particularly Jesus' reputation. So they want to take Jesus home. Hey, Jesus, take your pills, lay down, this will all be over. (laughs) Hope that That Jesus, Mary and his brothers And also the lack of a father suggests That maybe Joseph might be dead at this point But they just want to get back to normal That's their hope They just want to get back to normal Jesus, you're you're making too much of all this ministry thing You just come back and work for the carpentry business There's an opening for you But that's not what Jesus is here for Jesus isn't crazy Jesus is on a mission now maybe you've noticed this as you've read Mark for yourself Mark has this idea of telling two stories at once It's a formula he has He'll have story A the beginning He'll tell an entire story B And then he'll resolve story A We started on story A This is Jesus and his family Rejection of him, or I should say Accusing him of insanity Now we're going to enter story B And I think We're led to believe that Jesus' family Is an earshot Of this story Jesus' family might be hearing this So keeping this in perspective Jesus is facing criticism With his family Mark moves on to show us That he's going to face criticism From his church, capital C Look at what happens next Verse 22 And the scribes who came down From Jerusalem were saying He is possessed by Beelzebub And by the prince of demons He casts out the demons The scribes who came down from Jerusalem. This is a new level of antagonism in the book of Mark. Because we've had Pharisees from time to time take small jabs at Jesus, but these are scribes from Jerusalem. This is like the official top dog high religious authority of the entire church coming down and making judgment on Jesus. The established religion, if you want to call it that so the official delegation from the establishment of judaism comes to investigate this man jesus and here's what they say we think you're here to carry out the mission of satan ouch (laughs) right they say this is what you're here for they say beelzebub and then they clarify the prince of demons Now the only thing that commentators can agree on on who Beelzebub was is that it's hard to figure out precisely (laughs) what. It's a very repulsive reference. It's been said it means everything from the Lord of the Flies to the Lord of the Dung Heap. So to me, this is like Billy Graham or some other international figure of Christianity at 40 showing up and saying, you get your power from the smelly inferno of hell itself. They are saying Jesus is working for Satan. And I love Jesus' response because it's one of those times, now again, Peter is likely telling Mark about the story, and Mark is writing it down, but I got to imagine that Jesus could have been a little witty (laughs) and sarcastic here. Look at what he says. And he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? Like, how does this happen, right? Right? You, minion, go and possess that man. Now, minion Jesus, go and exercise the possessed man and do him harm. He's he's like, that's that's not really the best strategy for Satan to use. I can imagine Jesus looking them in the eye and saying, Think through this, really. (laughs) Think through it. Jesus continues. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, That house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. This is just evil organization 101. You don't harm your organization if you want it to thrive. Very easy to understand there. Mark, as he writes this, probably has some ideas of chronology, and maybe as the readers of Mark and the hearers of this book of Mark, we might be thinking of of what the truth is about Jesus and demons. Because so far, we've, we've seen several times an unclean spirit comes into contact with Jesus. That unclean spirit says, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. And Jesus, he deals with them. He pulls them out. He sends them away to their room. He says, don't tell anybody. So this is actually what Jesus is doing. If you have your Bible in front of you And if you take notes Circle that word house In verse 25 Or verse 20. Is it 25? Yes That word, verse, word house What is Jesus using that in reference to? Verse 24 Says it's the kingdom of Satan That's, that's what the house is Jesus is going to use this Same idea of a house Being the kingdom of Satan in the next verse Verse 27 He says But no one can enter a strong man's house No one can enter Satan's house And plunder his good Unless he first Binds the strong man Then indeed he may plunder his house Isn't that awesome <laughs> Jesus is here To do a B&E That's a breaking and entering <laughs> He says he's here to break into Satan's house Right He has bound Satan. Satan has no power over Jesus. Hey, I know we live in a world where we're constantly told of superheroes and supervillains, and they're equal and opposite. Let's not forget, God made Satan. Satan is not Jesus' opposite and equal. John, in his gospel account, shows us that Jesus makes this very apparent. John 12, 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of this world be cast out. John 1430 31 says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. So some of you like to live in this tension. I'm one of them. So I should say some of us like to live in this tension. I feel the attacks of the enemy. I see his attacks on our church. Universal. Look at ISIS. Look at all the legal battles in America. Hey, friends, Jesus wins. <laughs> Jesus wins. Jesus says he's in Satan's house, and Satan is bound up. It reminds me of Revelation 20, where John recites what I believe to be this beautiful picture of what Jesus does at the cross. I know not all of you think that this is indicative of what Jesus does at the cross. Maybe it's a double fulfillment. Separate discussion, but just follow Revelation chapter twenty, and John says, and I then then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. And so the idea. Both here and in the book of Mark Is that Jesus has entered into Satan's house And he is binding the strong man As you read throughout Mark you see a few things That Jesus was tempted in the desert But he didn't give in Jesus cannot be possessed by demons And as for those who are possessed around Jesus He casts them out Tells them to shut up He sends them home with no ice cream (laughs) Jesus is in charge He has the authority, and Satan's authority, his influence is bound, it's hindered. It's not in full force. So this is one of the reasons that Jesus is here for. So let's keep this all in context. The delegation from Jerusalem believes Jesus to be a doer of works, a doer of miracles, casting out demons of healing people. But they make a grave mistake. They believe that Jesus is here for a mission of Satan and Satan's purposes. And Jesus just explained rather well, no, I'm not in league with Satan. I'm warring against him. He's hindered right now. But then Jesus takes it a step further, and he responds to their accusations with very chilling words that still at times chills our ears today. Verse 28. First, he says, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. Hey, tell you what. Underline those words right there. All sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, I want you to rest, first of all, in those words. Can we say together, all sins will be forgiven on three? One, two, three. All All sins will be be forgiven. I don't know about you, But mercy and grace are probably the hardest concepts for my mind and my faith. Am I really forgiven? Do my sins really no longer condemn me? And Jesus says, yes. All sins are forgiven. It's another reason that Jesus is here for. To forgive sins. Jesus came to forgive sins. But, here is the chilling words. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Blaspheme means in this instance to vilify, to speak impiously, to defame, revile, speak evil. So whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. This is called the unforgivable sin The unpardonable sin So we look at verse 28 and 29 And we see, hmm, all sins will be forgiven But this sin never has forgiveness What? i want to kind of pull over and park here For a few minutes As we really look at this unforgivable sin And I want you to see that that God, Jesus, the God-man here Uses the idea of unforgivable Or unpardonable unashamedly, there's three U's there, unashamedly, because Jesus Christ is all-knowing. And time, in his mind, is of no consideration. Time is of no consideration. The only consideration of time in this unpardonable sin is in verse 29, it's eternal. It's an eternal sin. And I think that's where much of fear comes from with a lot of Christians I talk to. You see, Jesus isn't lording over anyone here a sin that anybody is is possible of accidentally, involuntarily committing. Nor is it a sin that people could not be forgiven of it if they asked for it. And here's what I mean by that. He's talking about people who reject God to their graves. It's eternal. Three myths I I quickly would like to break in your mind. Three myths. First of all, you cannot accidentally commit the unforgivable sin. This is no accident. Just like if you wake up in an afternoon nap and say, Oh darn, it's 5.10, I missed my 5 o'clock appointment. You can't wake up one morning and say, You know, oops, I think I broke the unforgivable sin yesterday. It doesn't happen like that. Secondly, if you are a Christian with a true repentant heart, and you love and serve Jesus, have no fear you did not break the unforgivable sin when you were not a Christian. Right? You and I, we love and serve Jesus. We ask Him to be our Savior. There is no way that as you and I study the Bible, that the Holy Spirit is going to say, you know, back in 1992, that spring, you broke the unforgivable sin, you are now going to hell. That doesn't happen. That's not how it works. Bear in mind that Peter professed Christ as his Lord, and then denied Him three times, and was reinstated and was forgiven. Bear in mind that Paul persecuted the church violently, called Christ his enemy, before Christ confronted him and converted him. So I don't think we can accidentally break some sin without knowing it. Thirdly, every sin, dear Christian, that you truly seek God's forgiveness for, he grants it. He grants it. Every sin. I don't want this verse to hang over you like God's going to withhold forgiveness from me someday. Now you might say, well, this just sounds directly opposite to what the Bible says. And what I'm saying is that if you're breaking the unpardonable sin in the first place, you will not be seeking any forgiveness for any sin, anyways. The unpardonable sin is unpardonable because it is a willful, self desired, voluntary rejection of Christ and His Holy Spirit. The unpardonable sin is when God does not pardon the sinner because they do not seek to be, and they scoff at the Holy Spirit. They scoff at God's grace. Without getting any more commentator-ish and elevated, Mark lays it out pretty simply here about the unpardonable sin here in verse 29. Whoever blasphemes, talks evil against, vilifies, reviles the Holy Spirit, they never have forgiveness. And Mark tells us in verse 30 that they, the scribes, we're giving us an example of it. They were stating Jesus has an unclean spirit. Bottom line: if you're questioning and fearful that you have somehow committed the unpardonable sin, that means you're open to the authority of the Spirit, <laughs> the Spirit's examination of your life, and it means that you're probably not guilty of it. <laughs> what is Jesus here for? So far, This text has told us that Jesus is here to bind Satan. He's here to forgive sins. He isn't insane. He's not doing work for the kingdom of Satan. Now, Mark is leaving story B. (laughs) We've been in story B, and he's going to resolve story A. Story A was Jesus' family wanting to seize or remove Jesus, bring him back home, give him his pills, and hope that this Jesus movement thing and all the publicity, especially the bad publicity, Is getting is going to die down And so Mark brings Jesus' family back into the equation And his mother And his brothers came And standing outside they sent to him And called him And a crowd was sitting around him And they said to him your mother and your brothers are outside Seeking you I'm going to give you two verses And you're going to realize why I give them to you right after Hebrews 2.18 says Tells us about Jesus that He himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews four fifteen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I want to I want you to imagine this day for Jesus. Just this one day. It may have started back in Mark three seven. This means that a crowd almost ran him and his people into the sea. Jesus was healing people and casting out demons. Having never done that, I don't think I have. I don't know how tiring that might be, but it might be tiring. He organizes Jesus' first church, the 12 disciples. He makes it through the crowds and back to a house to try and eat. The crowds are too overbearing that he can't eat. His parents come and accuse him of being insane. The church authorities come and accuse him of being in league with Satan. And now his parents are sending messengers to Jesus because Jesus is likely in a house right now still teaching. <clears throat> and his parents really want to get him home now. I imagine it's because that maybe his family were within earshot of the church official leadership condemning him. And the fact that Jesus basically just told them, you're going to hell, <laughs> your words to me, are unforgivable. Trust me, Jesus didn't say that lightly. In fact, Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 33 both tell us, prophesy that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Instead, it is God's desire for them to turn from their ways and live. Jesus did not tell these scribes about an unpardonable sin out of pride, arrogance, or indignation. But I'm sure with, with complete sorrow, That the key leaders of God's holy church are so blind to who Jesus is. So here's his mother and his brothers, as we know earlier, chapter, verse 21, that they're here to take Jesus home. You think Jesus was tempted? He's had a long day. He has to to be a marked man by now, the church, you know, telling official scribes that their sins are unforgivable. Probably kind of gives you a reputation. Do you think Jesus was tempted here to get away from the crowds, to get away from the spotlight, to get away from the proverbial boxing ring with the Pharisees? But what is Jesus here for? Jesus is not here for mother or his brothers. He's not here for the condemnation of Jewish leaders. He's about to explain why he's here for. It says, and he answered them, those who came to tell him that his mother and brothers are here. He answered them. Who are my mothers, excuse me, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Did you catch that? Whoever does the will of God, whoever does the will of God is his brother, is his sister, is his mother. Did you notice an absent family member there? It just looks absent, but Jesus doesn't say anybody could be his father, but he names who his father is. Verse 35, that's God. God is his father. John 5.19 records, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Jesus is saying that his mission is to bring others into the family of God. His mission is to to do the will of God. And those who do the will of God, likewise, are part of Jesus' family. And so is Jesus hating on his immediate family, Mary and his brothers? How about this verse, Luke 14, verse 26? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying here? (laughs) Jesus, who says, love your neighbor as yourself, or the two greatest commandments, love God and love people. He's not being schizophrenic when he says, hate family. What he is saying is that you and I are part of a family, and that spiritual family is connected by faith and doing the will of God in our lives, ought to be more tangible, more strengthening, more real than that of blood relations. Friends, trust me, it had to have broken Jesus' heart. Because at this point in his life, it seems Mary and his brothers just didn't quite get it. Sure, uh, Mary, and I'm guessing she and Joseph may have shared the story of Jesus with their children and their other siblings. How Jesus was born, the miracles surrounding that. But, but Jesus, going about healing people, casting out demons, preaching that he, Jesus, can forgive sins. Disagreeing with Pharisees Telling scribes from Jerusalem That they're going to hell I mean, this is like a wild bull Or a lion, to use a biblical reference And the beautiful thing is Is that Jesus' family eventually Will get it They'll eventually join the spiritual family of God So there is hope You know, we have two books in the Bible From Jesus' brothers, James and Jude We see at the end of Jesus' life and in the book of Acts that Mary is worshiping her son. So they all eventually get it. The big picture today, Jesus' personal family had ideas for Jesus. They were accusing him of insanity. But I also think it was to tempt Jesus with comfort. Bring him home, forget the mission, forget why he's here for Jesus' church, the Jews, they wanted to divert Jesus off his mission by accusing him of dark spirituality. You're here for Satan, you're not on a mission of God. For those of us Christians, family and church aren't these two things that are very weighty in our lives? Family and church, what are we here for? Are we here to carry out our family legacy? Carry the farm, the, the mindset, the money, the political leanings, everything, the entire legacy into the future? Are we here to carry the Quaker tradition, the Quaker name, or I know many of you are from different church backgrounds carry the Nazarene tradition, the Baptist tradition, the legacy, or even the legacy of Woodland French Church? Are we just here to carry that into the future? That sounds like a big burden to carry. That sounds like a huge burden to carry. That sounds a lot like a lot is writing on you and I for us to do that. And that's not what you and I are called to do. Hey, I want to ease your burden today. Some of you feel like you have roles to fill. I want to tell you what your role is. Friend of Jesus, you are part of the family of Jesus. And as the family of Jesus here in Woodland, what do you need to do? For whoever does the will of God, He is my brother and my sister and my mother. And I have to be honest. Though our families, my family is really great, I love them to death, they cannot take the place of God. And though the Quaker church can be great, it should not take the place of God. Sometimes the will of God will be in compliance with what our families want. Some of you I know, (laughs) that's far from the truth, from what your family wants. Sometimes the will of God will be in compliance with Quaker tradition or any other church tradition. But I want you to encourage today, encourage you today. If what God's will is somehow a a hindrance or in conflict with a legacy you feel you need to fulfill, with the church you serve, the family you have, I'm urging you to choose God's will. Why? Because God loves conflict? No. Because God made you for a reason and a purpose. And when you fulfill that reason or that purpose, you will be satisfied and nothing else will satisfy you. Now, I need to be careful. I'm not saying chase your dreams and follow your heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's not a very good reference. So this isn't, hey, you know, Kevin, I've been wanting to buy that Mercedes. Man, that was a God-inspired dream. And now Kevin wants me to pursue that dream. No. I'm saying pursue the will of God whenever it's convenient, whenever it's inconvenient, when it does well or when it hurts. Why? Because you're part of the family of God, and that's what a family member of God does. And friends, trust me. I know this, being a pastor, I really know this. It's so nice when you're not living up to the expectations, or the desires of those around you, but for the will of God. Isn't that liberating? You don't have to do what your parents wanted you to do all your life. You don't have to be who your family really wants you to be. You don't need to conform to the established church or what your pastor says to conform you. Yes, this is your pastor saying, hey, sometimes I'm an idiot and I ask you to do things that maybe aren't in line with God's will. So search the scriptures and pray and see what God says. Because whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, my sister or my mother. Doesn't that make it easy? Just. Do the will of God Just follow Jesus Just listen to Jesus Just lean on Jesus Do what Jesus does And if it ticks off somebody You're part of the family of God And sometimes the people who will, who you tick off May be like Mary and Jesus' brothers They'll come around And other times They might be like the scribes And they won't And that's sad But it's okay because your place is not with the scribes Your identity Doesn't find its security In what other people think Your identity is a child of God I want you to start Saying this prayer this week It's very simple Father help me to do your will Isn't that simple You can start by praying it right now Heavenly Father we We catch up in the book of Mark and see that you man you had to have had a bad day that just doesn't say it right there Lord Jesus you had to have a terrible day but Father we read the end of this at least what we get at the end of this day found in Mark very comforting words that whoever does the will of the Father is part of the family of Christ so Father I just pray today help me to do your will Father, I just want to ask for your forgiveness, because sometimes I I know I live up to the expectations, the desires of those around me, whether they please you or not. I just assume that that's who I need to be. Father, I need to be your child, and I need to do your will. So, Father, I pray for all of those of us in here today. If any of us are experiencing struggle and tension, feeling like we need to live up to this, live up to that, live up to what my parents, my my siblings, my son and daughter, my uncles or aunts, whoever. Father, release them and liberate them today and say, just, just do my will. Just do what I ask you to do. Father, I pray that by your power of the Holy Spirit, by the sins that we have been forgiven of, both sins before, the sins we have committed, the sins we will commit, you have forgiven us all of it. And you liberate us to move forward doing your will. Would you help us to do that? Help us to abide by you. We thank you. We
0: ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.